You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we're continuing through the book of Romans as our student pastor, Josh Kinsley, preaches from Romans chapter 2. In this passage, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome about God's righteous judgment towards sin. As we listen today, it's our prayer that we will be challenged, convicted, and encouraged by God's Word to us. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, it is a great morning this morning. I am honored to be able to be on the platform today and just thankful to our pastor who allows uh, to share the pulpit with other pastors. And uh, I'm just thankful that uh, he asked me to be able to teach out of Romans today. Um, If I'm very honest, uh, when he did ask, I was uh, pretty dumbfounded. Um, I think I just opened my mouth and nothing really came out. So I was like, "Uh, uh, uh, maybe. um." And the reason for that is because, honestly, in any church I've been a part of, and especially this church, for me being a part of this church for over 10 years now, Um, I've never felt so much excitement from our congregation about a sermon series. And so being asked to teach and preach out of Romans, uh, it was a big deal for me. And so it did take me a full day to tell him yes, but I did say yes. And I'm thankful that I did. Um, As Mike told you, my name is Josh Kinsley. Uh, I am not our uh, pastor, Josh, but I get to be the high school pastor uh, for our ninth through 12th graders, and I love doing that. I love being a part of their life. I love getting the chance to partner with their parents as they disciple their students. I love getting to be a part of partnering with awesome servant leaders and life group leaders to disciple high school students, and I am just thankful for the calling that God has on my life. Um, so, um, without further ado, This morning, we are going to be in Romans chapter 2. So if you would go ahead and turn there. I thank Brantley and Aaron for um, reading our passage this morning, or part of our passage this morning. Uh, But before we get there, I want to give us a little background. I want to go back. It's been about five weeks since we started Romans chapter 1. And so this morning, I just want to remind us of what's going on in this passage. Uh, So before we jump into chapter 2, Let's do that right now. Romans is a letter or an epistle written by the Apostle Paul. We believe he wrote this letter while he was on his third missionary journey visiting Corinth around 57 AD. We know that Paul longs to visit Rome. We saw that in chapter 1. But before he does so, he has to travel back to Jerusalem and drop off some money that he's collected for the church there. But uh, as scholars believe, once he gets back to Jerusalem, he's imprisoned. And so his trip to Rome is delayed by many, many years. While there are many key purposes for Paul writing this letter, I think we can sum up the book in an overall theme that Romans is the revelation of God's judging and saving righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. It is God's, excuse me, the revelation of God's judging and saving righteousness in the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Will you pray for me before we dive in? God, I want to thank you for the opportunity this morning, Father, that you have given us to be here and to study your word together. Lord, I pray as we read this passage of scripture, God, that you would fill my lips with your words. And Father, that you would be honored and glorified in all that we say and talk about this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's dive in. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Our very first word is therefore, right? That's our favorite word around here. You've heard many pastors up here talk about when we see the word therefore, we have to ask this question, right? What is the therefore, therefore? And so before we get into the the meat of chapter 2, we need to do a little recap of chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And that's going to help us understand Paul's message. So if you'll remember, in verses 18 through 32 of chapter 1, Paul is speaking directly to the Gentiles. All right? As a reminder, the Gentiles are anybody or any people group that is not of Jewish ancestry. So Paul speaks to the Gentiles, and he deals directly with their unrighteousness. And essentially what we can contextualize from Paul's writings is that Jews are reading this first bit of the letter and going, yeah, that's right. That's right, Paul. You tell them. You tell them how terrible they are. You tell them how foolish they are, how much they're, they're idolaters. You tell them to stop having unnatural relations with each other. You tell them to stop being full of envy and strife and murder and deceit and malice. Tell them that they are gossipers, slanderers, foolish and ruthless. They've hated God. How in the world could they have any part of his kingdom? I don't know if you can feel this, but if this wasn't a letter and instead was, was a speech or a symposium or something, I, I, I just read this and I imagine Paul's head looking at the Gentiles and hearing what the Jews are saying, and he just kind of turns his head real slow. He's like, oh, you got something to say? Look at the rest of verse 1. It says, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. What we have here is the very first proclamation that the Jews and the Gentiles are not so different. Paul tells the Jews that they are without excuse, just as he did with the Gentiles back in chapter 1, verse 20. If you want to flip over and read that with me, chapter 1, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul says you are both unrighteous. You are all sinful. The Jews didn't really understand this concept. And we'll see that in just a moment. But can we just bring this closer to home for a second? In the year 2022, are we not the same as the Jews that Paul is writing to? We point the finger and shout, sinner! 
while failing to understand our own sin. Failing to admit that I am just as sinful as the person next to me. In some cases, that may be because I deal with a different sin and I don't really understand that, so it's easy for me to judge somebody. But I also think in other cases, we, myself, may be dealing with that same exact sin, and I want to project that onto somebody else because I don't want anybody to know. So I'm hoping that my sin, our sin, won't come to light if I do that. This is why those outside the church have such a distaste for Christians, historically at least, because we've been hypocritical. And I get it. We're all hypocrites because we're all sinners. Thank God for the church. The church is for hypocrites. But I think for us today, we have to be careful, careful that we understand our own sin and our own struggles. Realize that we are just as sinful and broken as the next person. And we need to keep this in mind as we minister to others so that we do it from a position of mutual brokenness and not a place of self-righteousness. Because, church, we all will be judged. Paul tells us in verse 2 this truth, that we all will be judged not based on our distorted truth, but on the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 2. It says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, meaning judging and doing the exact same thing. So I think we need to ask the question, why do the Jews feel that they are better? That on the day of judgment, the day that we all will stand before Jesus, that they would think that they won't be judged as harshly. Well, I think Paul actually helps us out here in verses 3 through 4. Read this with me. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay, so if you remember your Old Testament history here, the Jewish people make up the nation of what? The nation of? Israel. Okay, good. Sorry, I'm a student pastor. I ask questions, expect responses, okay? All right, next question. Here we go. And the nation of Israel was known as God's people, okay? So because of this, God gave the Jews his law, and they believed that they would either not be judged or be judged less. And can I just say, church, do we not have this same mindset? I don't know what, well, there's 1,200, 1,300 people in this room today. I'm going to guess that around 85% of us, maybe even more, grew up in church or around church. Around meaning maybe you weren't there consistently, but enough that you could tell somebody, hey, I go to church. You may know the Ten Commandments. Not, you, may not, can, you may not be able to recite them, but you kind of know what they are. Do we not have the same mindset? Because I go to church, I won't be judged as harshly. Because I'm a good person, I won't be judged as harshly. Because I serve in the church, I won't be judged as harshly. 
because I financially give over and above to the church, I won't be judged as harshly. Look, it's human nature for us to have this mindset. That, that I am the exception. We all think that most of the time, right? That we are the exception to the rule. Broadmoor, I am here to tell you today that it doesn't matter if you go to church, grew up in church, or give to the church, or even serve in the church, every one of us will be judged. God's righteous judgment is for all of us, no matter where you come from or who you are. And the only way to know that the verdict will go in your favor is for Jesus Christ to cover you in his saving grace. There's a Scottish theologian named Sinclair Ferguson, and he says this, there are no exceptions regarding the reality and standards of God's righteous judgment. As long as you think that you are an exception to God's judgment, you will never repent and turn to Jesus. Why would you need to? God's kindness is not to excuse us of our sin. God's kindness is to show us our brokenness because of sin and lead us into the saving grace of Jesus Christ Church. That is the good news. That is the kindness of Jesus, that he shows us the need for us to have salvation in him, for him to be our savior. But if we continue in unrepentance, then as we see in verse five, read that with me, but because of your hard and impenitent heart that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That, that word impenitent means unrepentant or admitting no change of mind. I want you to hold that truth because we're going to hear more about that as we go along. But in verse 6, it says, he will render to each one according to his works. Another word for render could be repay. What Paul is doing here is he's, he's going back to the writings that the Jews know to give credibility to what he is saying. Specifically in Psalm 62, 12, which the last part of that verse says, for you will render to a man according to his work. In Proverbs 24, 12, which says, if you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Now, you may be saying, Josh, hold up. I thought salvation was through faith alone. But, but this sounds like Paul is saying that it's because of our works we will be judged. Let me be as clear as I can. Yes, we will be judged by our works. And the reality is that there is no good work that we can do to render ourselves to Christ. As we are going to see in Romans 3, we are justified by faith because of what Christ did for us on the cross and by his resurrection. 
But thank goodness our faith is transformational. It's a transformational faith. And if we put our faith in Jesus, it's his work. It's his work that leads us to good works as an outpouring of our faith. If good works are done by us, church, it is because of Christ's work for us and in us. Not anything that we can do on our own. But unfortunately, some will attempt to show with external works just to fulfill their duty of a religion. Hear this. External practices of religion do not equal an inward transformation. External practices of religion do not equal an inward transformation. Jesus does that, and we'll see that in just a moment. As we get to verses 7 through 10, we're finally going to see that I think there's a little bit of hope coming from these verses. In verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will be given eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, I want to be clear in verse 7, when I, the first time I read this, I had to read it three or four times to really understand what it was saying. So I want to make sure you understand, but you guys are a lot smarter than me. So, but just in case, this is a person who is seeking these things for God's glory and not their own. Okay, so don't read it as they're doing this on their own, but they're seeking these things for God's glory. For God's honor, for his immortality. But in verse 8, we see we have more unrighteousness. And throughout this passage, we continue to see this theme of God's righteousness versus self-righteousness. Those who seek God's righteousness will experience God's eternal life. But for those who continue to seek self-righteousness, they will experience God's wrath and fury. We see this again in verses 9 through 10. It says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Same thing here, right? The order's just reversed in those four, pass- those four verses right there. But notice that Paul really hones in on tribulation and distress. And I love that he uses these words because I think it's emotions that we feel in our life. Have you ever been, had a time in your life where, where you knew God was calling you to do something or asking you to do something and, and you disobeyed? Or maybe you felt uh, a moment in your life or you lived a part of your life, a season of your life where you just lived in disobedience. And I'm going to venture to guess, if you can think back to that time, you would, you would know these, these emotions, these feelings, tribulation, stress. But maybe there's been a time in your life where, where God asked you to do something and you followed through, or you've, you've hopefully li- lived a lot of seasons of your life in obedience to Christ, and you can feel the emotions of, of peace, glory to God. That's for everyone who does good or does good works in response to God's righteousness. 
And I want you to notice here that, that he calls out both people groups, Jews and Gentiles. But I think it's interesting to know, why does Paul say it like this? The Jew first and also the Greek or the Gentile. What we see here is that a priority in blessing is also our priority in judgment. Because God chose the Israelites to be his people, to reveal his law to, it carried a spiritual responsibility. We see this in Amos chapter 3, verse 2. It says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, does this mean that the Jewish punishment will be harsher than the Gentiles? Well, not really, no. As we see in verse 11, for God shows no partiality. The reason for Paul writing this way is to make sure the Jews understand that, again, you are as broken and sinful and unrighteousness as someone that, who does not have the law. You were given a spiritual privilege, but were not able to uphold the spiritual responsibility. Before we move on, I think it would benefit to clarify that on that day of judgment, we will not be judged by the people group that we belong to. We, as individuals, will give an account to God. Look at verse 6, it says, each one. In verse 9, it says, every human being. In verse 10, it says, everyone, meaning every one person. Church, we will not be categorized into groups to be judged because we were Protestant, because we were Baptist, because we went to Broadmoor, or because this is the family that I belong to. None of those things will bring us favor or excuse when it comes to time to take the proverbial courtroom stand. All right, so you may be asking, Josh, is there any hope? There is hope, and we're going to get there, and we're going to get all the way there in the following chapters of Romans. But remember, we have to know the bad news to understand how great and good God really is. Verses 12 through 13. <clears throat> For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So when Paul says those without the law, he's talking to the Gentiles, right? Because he didn't reveal his law to them. They were not privy to it. Okay, but when he says those that are under the law, he is speaking of the Jews because they had the law and were to live by it. Now, I think it's important that we understand what we mean by the law. We've said that a lot today, but these next four or five verses are very important for us to understand this, okay? So, the first written law that was given to the nation of Israel were the Ten Commandments. See that on, on Mount Sinai, Moses on top of the mountain. But before we let our thoughts get self-righteous that you're telling me, Josh, you're telling me these Jews, they, they can't follow 10 simple commandments, just 10 things, which, by the way, we can't either. The entire law, 
The Mosaic law was made up of 613 different laws. It spans the first five books, five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. To the Jews, it was known as the Torah. And so when we talk about the law, we need to know exactly what we're talking about. It's not just Ten Commandments, even though, yes, those are a big deal. But this, it's the entire five books, first five books of our Bible. So we look at verses 14 through 16. It says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So Paul tells the Jews that even the Gentiles who do not have the law, they have a rudimentary knowledge of what the law is. That sounds crazy. How, how is that? Because it is written on their hearts. And if anything, if anything gives evidence to a creator, it is this. Man, being a part of his creation, has a certain conscience to do works that bear witness to a law that is written on not only their hearts, but our hearts. So we have Gentiles that do not have the law, but are expected to obey it perfectly. We have Jews who have the law and are expected to obey it perfectly. Paul reminding the Jews that they don't get a, hey, y'all come on in, just because they were given the law. They have to do what it says. They have to obey it. And as we saw in verse 1, that's not happening. The law is God's standard for relationship with him. The problem is that no man or woman has ever been able to uphold the law. Except one. As our worship team comes out, church, I, I want you to hear, hear this. I hope you've heard everything, but, but hear this. There will be a day where we will stand in front of Jesus. It will be a day of judgment. Even today, we've referred to it as a, the day of wrath, fury. But on this day, we will be judged by not only what we have or have not done for the gospel, but who we are and who we are not because of the gospel. And the good news is that because God is so kind, our repentance and belief in Jesus makes the unrighteousness and the self-righteousness go away. Jesus gives us right standing before the Father. And as we said, it's not some prize to be earned. It's a gift to be accepted. So when that day comes, and it is coming soon, when we stand before Jesus face to face to receive our judgment, our faith in Jesus is the only way for us to be acquitted. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says this, 
for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gift of eternal life is Jesus. He took the standard, the law, and obeyed it fully. And because he did that, we are able to come back into a right relationship with God. Jesus saves us from the consequences of not living up to the standard. And get this, the salvation, that salvation cannot be earned by you. Why? Because it is freely given by Jesus. We just have to accept that gift. So if you're in this room today, can I ask, or you're watching online, I want to ask you this. Have you accepted the gift that he freely gives? In the same epistle, in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, I'm going to fast forward this just a little bit. It says this, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, on that day, if you have not put your total and complete faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, Matthew tells us that we will hear these words. I never knew you. Depart from me. But by God's grace, and power and salvation to all those who are covered in righteousness because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will get to hear these glorious, moving, emotional words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Church, if you long to hear those words, and then if you're unsure, if you will, I want to tell you that this altar is open for you today. That there are going to be ministers down front, there will be ministers over here to the side, who want nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So that as brothers and sisters, together we can enter the gates of heaven. Not just because it's heaven. And not just as a, out of a fear from hell. But because that is where our creator reigns and lives. 
And as followers of Jesus Christ, I know for myself as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's where I desire to be, is with Jesus. So the question is this, the invitation is this. If in your heart you know, or maybe you're even unsure that you've put your faith in Jesus, that you know that he is covering you in his righteousness, I want to invite you to come down today after we sing these songs. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray, Lord, that you would put an inflamed desire in our heart to know you, not just as some prophet, not just as somebody that had really good quotes and really good words, but God, that we would know you as Savior, as Redeemer, as Creator, as Sustainer. God, that we would live our lives for you. God, that anything we do would be for your glory and your honor, not ours. Father, I pray that every moment we are awake, we would remember how sinful we are. God, that when we talk to, to other people, whether at work, on the ball field, at school, at gym class, God, that we are no better than the person next to us. That we are only good because you are good. So Father, today, allow us to understand our brokenness from you. And allow us to understand how great you are. That we are nothing without you. Lord, I pray this morning that seeds would be planted, that there would be a desire to come into a saving, faithful relationship with you. We ask these things this morning, Lord, in your name, amen.